Hello, and welcome to Idea City. I'm your host, Andrew Gilbert, and with me today I have the co-creators of the award-winning graphic novel series Pass Me By, a romantic coming-of-age story about understanding queer identity and what happens to the stories you never tell. In studio here we have Kat Simmers, a trans femme non-binary artist and author who works with comic media and street art to connect seemingly disparate worlds. We also have Ryan Danny Owen, a non-binary author, visual artist, drag performer, and queer historian based in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having us. Very happy to be here. So for those who aren't familiar, what is Pass Me By about? So Pass Me By is a story following Ed as a old man dealing with early onset dementia living in a small rural Canadian town, kind of forgetting what he orders every day at the diner and dealing with the loss of his memory. Uh, and then in our sequel, we jump back to uh, 1972 uh, to his past touring with the glam rock band and kind of exploring uh, intergenerational queer identity and sexuality and uh, becoming oneself, I guess. So let's talk a bit about the queer identity aspect of Pass Me By. Oh, sure. So uh, first off, for those listening at home, Pass Me By is going to be put out in five volumes. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's our intention. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's kind of funny because we started this project uh, together just shortly after art school. And I was like, five books, five years, that'll be easy. Mm -hmm. And now we're over five years into the project working on book three. So it's a decade long commitment, which is uh, exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> it's one of those things where like, uh, so it's going to be about a five book series. We currently have our first two out. So uh, Pass Me By Electric. Oh, uh, Pass Me By Gone Fishing came out in 2019. And then Pass Me By Electric Vice came out in 2020. 21. Uh, uh, 2021. And then uh, Pass Me By Lily will be coming out in 2024 uh, with the support of Canada Council. Kat's going to start illustrating it. Um, and uh, yeah, like we're hoping to keep the progression going each few years, having another issue coming out and just kind of growing with the series as it becomes itself, you know? So... With a decade-long project, what keeps you motivated to put this story out there? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm like working on a workshop for TCAF that I'm going out to in June here. And it's about like funding indie comics and how you can use Kickstarter and grants and indie publishing as a way of helping you along. But my closing section is why do this to yourself? Because that's like the real question you have to answer if you're interested in getting into this, uh, this industry or really in being an artist in general. Um, there's something so magic to pass me by that like, I felt a pulse of when I first started this project as like a little six page comic in my third year of art school here in the city. Um, and I, I'm not even entirely sure that I understand perfectly how Pass Me By syncs up with like myself and my art practice, but I know it's like so vital to like my growth as a person and to like everything else that I'm doing in the world. Um, it's been really exciting to like talking about it being like a 10 year project that we're five years into now, you know, um, when we first approached this project, um, we had some ideas that have really stuck through, but it's been really exciting to see the new things that grow out of it. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can speak to some of what, what keeps you motivated with the project. I think like, uh, 
just like raw stubbornness uh, keeps me going on a lot of it where I'm like, I said I was going to do this and I'm going to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely part of it is the stubborn nature of like, I said it would be, so it shall. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I think a big part of it too is just how much we've changed as we've developed the series and how, mm -hmm. you know, from our first book to our second book, like there was a transfer in identities. There was just a change in experiences and just like a deeper understanding of what it meant to be storytellers and especially to be mm -hmm. queer storytellers. I think having a story like this coming out of the prairies, coming out of, you know, our experiences from our backgrounds here, living outside of Alberta, inside of Alberta in all of these different ways is like, it's really the important part of why I feel like it's a vital part of who I am to tell stories, to tell this story. Um, so I feel like it's it's not the nature of I, I feel I have to do it, but it, it just it must be. So it's it, it, it forms itself as it goes. And I'm just kind of a conduit for it, I guess. Honestly, the conduit idea is like very much a thing. I like um we were kind of talking uh, a little bit before the interview about the idea of like, you know, you encounter ideas and they kind of like become embedded in you in a way that you don't consciously comprehend. And like, there's like an automatic quality to some of the things that we create and write. And like so much of what Pass Me By comes out of is, is really mine from like personal experience. Um, there's like times in my life where like, this is, something intense will happen and like my way to process that afterwards is to be like who in the world that passed me by can go through something similar and like to find the emotional core of experiences that I've had or friends and family have had and to translate into that into our world in this comic um into new characters but retaining that sort of um that 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 emotional core of of what happened because I think that's like a real experience that other people connect with in an automatic way. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a bit about identity, which is a word that kept coming up in the answers, because it seems to me that uh, queer identity, especially in a, a prairie setting or a rural setting, is a big part of what this book is about. Mm -hmm. So why is it important to tell those kinds of stories? And why is it important to tell this story in particular? I, I think it's really important. Sorry, I'm just ran it right into it i think it's really important to tell queer stories coming out of the prairies because it's it seems like people forget that we've always been here mm -hmm. and that we've always been creating communities we've always been telling stories we've always been a part of the world and you know the the greater tell tales of everything that comes out of this is just that sheer willingness to exist within a society like calgary like alberta like any mm -hmm. of these things is a lot of sheer determination and fighting to be noticed and like have your stories mean something because you you don't know what's going to connect with people and i think a lot of locals that i've met here in the city need to see themselves represented on a page and need to see mm -hmm. them being a part of a community that's not just toronto or you know yeah. vancouver or anywhere like that like queer communities, especially prairie queer communities, have been extremely resilient and extremely like compassionate and wanting to build up themselves to know that they have presence and there's value to them being in these spaces. And I think that's part of the reason why identity and prairie queer identity is so mm -hmm. important to who I am as a person and who I am as a writer. 
Yeah, I'd love to refer to myself as a prairie fairy. Um, <laughs> I love that term. I think back to like growing up in the town of Basha, you know, a town of 800 people. And um, queerness was this thing that was like present in a very early 2000s um, sort of derogatory way. But like no queer people were like living openly in that town. And like it was queerness was this metropolitan thing like ryan said it's vancouver it's toronto it's new york city like and we don't have that sort of thing here right um and as a as a youth i found that really alienating i found it really hard to just like get a grasp on on what i was going through because i had no sort of role models that were rooted in experiences that were similar to what i was going through and that's where i think the character of ed is really powerful um by seeding that character in this small town that is sort of placed ambiguously within the Canadian landscape that we're um, creating space for, for a lot of different folks to like identify with that space as well as that character. So let's talk a bit about um, seeing yourself represented in media because it's been, I think 2019 was the first volume mm -hmm. that came out. So it's been a few years now and you've had time to get feedback what people told you about the representation they see in these books mm -hmm. you know uh queer identity is a is a huge part and i want to touch on that in a second but also a major theme running through our book is that ed is dealing with dementia through this process and that's been a really powerful part of this series where um there's a there's a huge percentage and i don't know the number off the top of my head right now but a lot of folks in their 80s and 90s will end up uh, living with or passing away with some form of dementia. And I, I've been able to have some really intimate and vulnerable conversations with people who are experiencing that personally through family right now or have in the past. And it's a really challenging thing. That was kind of like the impetus to create this series was my maternal grandmother being diagnosed with dementia back when I was in art school. And it was a thing that affected the whole family. You know, some people became caretaker roles, other, but I think we were all grappling with this, this, this idea of losing your memories and what, and then that the way that that connects to your idea of identity, like who are you without your memories becomes a really scary thing. Um, and that's a thing that a lot of other people are going through when that disease appears in their life. So this, this book like kind of provides a lifeline is hopefully providing some sort of lifeline of understanding to people going through that experience as well. Um, I, uh, to connect kind of on that same lane, it's like, I think a lot of us right now are obviously being faced with disease, um, and being faced with kind of the impact that it has, you know, the profound impact it has on all of our lives as it changes everything that we understand to be. Um, so I think, We've gotten a really incredible opportunity, you know, at Calgary Expo, at, at any kinds of conference or meeting that we get to meet fans and people who talk about the series is there's a, a really deep willingness to discuss those kinds of things with us mm -hmm. um, and to like really allow us to connect with them on a level that's like very, very hard to talk to or talk about and like face. Um, and in terms of like queerness and stuff like that, I think there's so many different ways that like queerness is represented in the book in a lot of very particular nuanced ways, because I don't think that, you know, it's, it's not a one size fits all thing with queerness. And it's mm -hmm. not a, like one experience is what faces all of us. I think a lot of us have, you know, different points of entry into a story like this, different points of entry into 
you know, being closeted, being hidden away from yourself, from losing those kinds of parts of who you are, or choosing to put them away in order to keep people safe or keep yourself safe. Um, and I think that's kind of why the story is so important and like what people have been connecting to, especially with Electric Vice as a series or as a story that takes place in, you know, the, the early 70s uh, and really faces a lot of very early queer ideas that are growing within the Canadian landscape of queer identity um, and intergenerational queer identity in that effect as well, right? And just for the listener's sake, Electric Vice is the second volume it in is the, the sequel, series. Yes. The first volume is called Gone Fishing, am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just because we're going to get our terms mixed up here if we don't clarify. I know, I keep, yeah. I keep mixing them up in my brain. That's a, that's a thing, too, is like the whole series is going to be released in sections, but we're always hoping to have our like grand book at the end, which is all of the books together. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of like Gone Fishing is a chapter, is Ed's first chapter, Electric Vice is the second chapter, and then Lily's the third, and it keeps progressing forward. Um, so we're hopeful that that'll be... The big grand reveal, as they say. <laughs> now, I love that we keep going on about identity and not just queer identity. I think bringing up dementia and mental health, uh, bringing up how one sees oneself. Mm -hmm. uh, you have both spent more time than most reflecting on identity for the sake of this book. What sort of insights can you share with the rest of us about what you figured out? Oh, no. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good one. I think... Um, so I, I think that I've come to more recently that's really helped me is um, in some ways having like an openness to my identity and a curiosity as much as answers for who I am. Um, sometimes I feel like particularly like going through transition, sometimes I feel like there's a lot of pressure to like have clean, rational answers for like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And Honestly, it's a, it's a curiosity and it's an openness and it's an understanding that there's challenges that I'm going to face, but I want to face those. I want to figure those things out and I don't have that. I may not have that right now, but that's something I'm confident that if I work towards, I will get somewhere that I'm happy with. Um, yeah. Yeah. I um a lot of the same things. I think me and Kat share a lot of, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, so we share a lot of the same opinions and same thoughts about this. But I always say that I reserve the right to change my mind, um, that I think identity and, you know, becoming is is really interpretive and it changes and it's m constantly going through flux and different interpretations of who I am within a moment mm -hmm. um, because nothing is, you know, still. It's constantly shifting. It's constantly moving. It's constantly changing the way that I represent it in myself than someone might interpret it on me. Mm -hmm. So like that's one thing I've really loved about the series is that there's been so much space to grow with it, but also challenge ideas that I had in book one, in mm -hmm. book two and book three and like kind of allowing myself that space to just be interpretive and be free to become whatever and allow that shifting, right? Yeah, so a real like driving idea behind our second book, Electric Vice, where Ed goes on this glam rock tour is that Ed suddenly becomes removed from this uh, community and this situation where there's a lot of expectation about who Ed is supposed to be. Um, I used to describe it as like when I was growing up, I was just like a mirror for other people's expectation of who I was supposed to be. And 
that glam rock tour is like a metaphor for like removing yourself from those expectations and like exploring possibility outside of just some sort of box that you feel like you have to fit yourself into. Mm -hmm. The outrageousness is such a key point of that. Just that mm -hmm. outrageous explosion of, of not only just like the surroundings, but also like color and like the vibrancy of occurrence that happens around him and the way that like music sequences are presented for Ed is like a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of magic and breaking away from expectation or expectations. Yeah. Now, if there's one thing that podcasts are good for, it's talking about visuals, right? <laughs> yeah. Go read our book. <laughs> but let's let's try anyway, just for the sake of <laughs> argument. Uh, can you explain a bit about the the color scheme that's gone into this? Because I think there's mm -hmm. a there's a lot of thought behind it. Yeah. Ooh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, <laughs> if you come see me at a table uh, when we're at Expo or something, I will go on a rant. We got a good uh, one too for that. Yeah. yeah so the uh, the color palette of the book is is very intentional, and it's rooted in the way that we started the series by self publishing through Kickstarter as a risograph series. And risograph is this process that is closer to silkscreen than it is to digital printmaking, where I'm limited to in the process that I'm using two colors of ink um, versus like a CMYK or something. And so we very specifically selected this like rich teal to use as the base and then a fluorescent pink as this like queering aspect um, to the series. And then it's been really interesting moving forward from book one where these two colors are treated very separately. We use pink as a way of sort of highlighting the things that I uh, Ed uses to remind himself of who he is and where he is. And then stepping back into memories, I am overlapping those two colors together, where when I overlap the pink and teal, I produce these like rich purples and magentas, and it becomes this like uh, monochrome color scheme that really pulls you into this vintage world of the 70s. And there's even extra room for me to maneuver where I have like deep navies where these two colors overlapped at full intensity produce that I have intentions of bringing in starting with book three and then really starting to work with in four and five. Mm -hmm. um, it's really fun how I've been able to use color in like a metaphorical way and the limits of having these two colors that I work with. Like that could be that could be a very restrictive process, but then it's become an exciting challenge to see how much emotional range can I get out of these two colors? How can I create a book that is existing within this little monochrome color space where from scene to scene, I can really create a different set and setting and different feelings for these characters based on the way that I'm using those, those tones. And one of the things that I noticed about the palette was that in the first book where it's mostly just Ed sort of reminiscing, mm -hmm. uh, without us actually seeing the reminiscing. Mm -hmm. There's small doses of, of the pink and the neon and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then by book two, which mostly takes place in Ed's memory, where he's sort of reliving his escaping the, the kind of rural life that he had and going on tour with the glam rock band, there's a lot more vivacious purples and pinks and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, it almost seems like, and I, I may be reading too much into this as an English lit background, but there the, the teal is so... Uh, low key versus how how outrageous the pink and the purple mm -hmm. is and there's something kind of sad about that of seeing an older man in teal reminiscing about things that he can't even quite remember anymore mm -hmm. so can you talk a bit about the the dementia and the memory side of that as well yeah absolutely you you really did pick up on something that i was thinking about with choosing those colors where like 
the the teal sort of felt like a more conservative color palette. That felt like something that if I'm illustrating this small town, that feels at home there. Whereas the pink was sort of intentionally something that feels out of place. And then by diving fully into that for the past, um, there's like a subversion of all the things that we've set up in book one. Um, where else? <laughs> And then the pink was a fun piece to use in book one. Uh, I mentioned that it's about like how Ed is placing who he is and where he is. And so I was highlighting certain elements within scenes, um, whether that be the f a familiar coffee cup or the truck uh, seats that Ed has sat in for years or the even the, the cuff of a sleeve that is like a friendly jacket that he remembers, you know, all these things that sort of like gave, gave I felt like would give comfort to Ed. I wanted to saturate with this color of pink. And then intentionally in a few scenes where Ed is, um, where we're depicting parts where Ed is losing touch with the present and is confused and is out of place, I strip pink out of those scenes. And so there's none of those comforting elements. And that was a way for me to sort of pepper in this little bit of idea of how connected Ed is to the world that he's occupying at a moment. No, it, it plays with the, like, the surrealist aspect of it, too, that mm -hmm. we can like, visually represent these kinds of change in emotion and these kind of changes mm -hmm. in like Ed's cognitive abilities and like what he's experiencing. Um, and that's why like using pink as such a visual representation of memory has been yeah. really like the kind of key to our whole series. Yeah. And that, that's just what brings everybody into it. That actually really connects to one of um, our key intentions with the series was to make you feel like you're going through this experience with Ed. Where with, sometimes when I've seen other depictions of dementia, it's sort of taken from a caretaker angle. There's sort of an outside angle on it, which makes the story more interpretable. It makes it a little bit easier to understand. But I really wanted to focus in on what is this experience like for Ed? And we use some different elements to like distort your sense of time and place and try and take you along that ride in Ed's shoes. So uh, not that we've been dancing around it, but let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, the graphic novel aspect, right? You know, if, if the medium is the message, what's what's the message in using a graphic novel to tell the story? Ooh, yeah, graphic <laughs> novels are really interesting i know that when we like even first started working on the book we were we were reading a lot we were looking at literature and we were also watching a lot of films and graphic novels presented this really interesting space where we could do things that are very literary we could do things that are very cinematic and then we could do things that aren't possible in either mm -hmm. um the way that you have like simultaneous readings of a page and then singular panels in sequence presents a lot of opportunities for me as an artist, but there's also a referenceable ability in a graphic novel where you can flip back and you can look at how one scene relates to another in a way that you can't really like scroll back through a movie and finding a place in a book can be really difficult, like because there's this visual lexicon for you to pull through. I, I feel like there's like this, um, this interactivity to graphic novels that as an artist provides me a lot of opportunity to like create little little sinks across time or across books. I love referencing shots from book one and book two, book three, et cetera. 
Well, that was a big thing with us is like, we're so, like I brought in a lot of info. Like we, when we first started, we, we were watching the beginning of movies of all kinds of different films in order mm -hmm. to kind of understand ways of people introducing their stories and those narratives. And when we did the first book, we were kind of early in those kinds of developments. And then when we did our second book, we decided to reapproach it kind of as they were mirrors of each other. Like they were so inclined and informed by the history of film and the existence of media like that, that we wanted to make it that if you read the first book uh, and then the second book, and then you read the second book again, or you read the first book again, they read differently every single time you looked at them. Um, so I guess that transference in between film, media, and culture, and all those different kinds of things become really at play when you get to see the whole series as constantly reaffirming and reexisting and jumping back on existing memories and being very informed by the past and the present uh, with the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think within each books, like we've we've found a lot of ways of pushing what's possible with a graphic novel through the lyrics that we write. Like there's a very musical aspect that runs through our series and particularly in book two that really kicks up. And uh, that comes a lot from automatic writing that Ryan does. And then we sort of piece together into these songs that my brother Derek uh, Simmers does the hand lettering for, has gorgeous hand lettering. And uh, then as a series, the way that these books speak to each other and there's like this, as Ryan said, the way that you read book one is changed by the way that you read book two. And we're hoping to continue that with book three, book four, where we're adding new information that will change like the context when mm -hmm. you go back. I think that's what I was trying to get at. But, yeah, it's just it's very it's a very interesting way of approaching comics and media and stuff like that in a very filmmaking perspective in the way that we're producing that story that uh, I don't think a lot of people have an approach to for comics like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you've been very good about talking about your uh, inspiration vis-a-vis -vis medium. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't help but notice that one of your characters in one of the books is reading a Betty Friedan book. Uh, so can we talk a bit about any sort of philosophical inspiration or any sort of literary inspiration that you've pulled from to create this book? There's a few of those references. I think I have uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance sitting on Ed's desk in like one of the first panels of the book. Um, we have a, a history of wasting time, which is a joke on a Stephen Hawking book. Yeah, 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 yeah. A brief Lily. history on wasting time. A brief history of wasting time. Yeah, yeah we love to throw those. In. Those are almost... Um, a lot of times they can be like character nods as much as anything else. Like we kind of want to, as much as giving insight into like our thoughts for this series, we're like, this is like a little window into what this character is reading right now, or this character is dealing with at that, that time. Um, yeah. Well, with the feminine mystique in particular, I think that was a big, you know, conversation about uh, May as well. Mm -hmm. Like she's kind of the, um, representation of a lot of those kinds of attributes that are within books like that or within you know the the feminine mystique as it is in itself um but i think uh you know we're both from art school backgrounds and we both were dead we're like kind of built in with a lot of those early philosophical ideas and things like that and a lot of those do just occur by happenstance and do just occur because they are kind of you know, they're a massive part of the way that we approach writing. They're a massive part of the way that we approach uh, creating stories is kind of not only playing into those things, but also just like kind of making fun of them and challenging them at times. I think that's always a big part of it, too, is like being kind of playful with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was also just really excited about the idea of May being like a fierce feminist. Oh, uh, fierce lesbian feminist. Yeah, all the way. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I want to use that as jumping off point uh, for something that I was looking up and thinking of when I was reading the book, which is that Simone de Beauvoir famously wrote that one is not born, but becomes a woman. So how well does that concept translate to queerness as people representing queerness? Yeah, I think, um, what do I think? That is, uh, Kind of digging into a lot of, of work that I've done just to interpret my own experience of gender. And I am hesitant to apply my own understanding to like the larger world. Uh, but yeah, I know my own experience was a, a lot of learning how I was supposed to operate based on, you know, role models that were around. And, and uh, growing up like in a masculine way, a lot of like humiliation is applied to you when you like step out of line of things like there is such a like cultural process to how we interpret ideas of like men and women. Um, and there's like a really liberating force to like trying to step outside of, I guess, hmm, I'm gonna pause this. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Okay. I think um, a lot in the kind of art of becoming and queerness is a very interesting dialogue of like, again, changing your mind and kind of constantly reinterpreting things that have been presented to you as you grow older. Um, I think that that's a huge part of becoming queer. Um, and also, you know, as you're transitioning and as you're kind of learning ways to embrace not only femininity, but also embrace aspects of yourself. Um, that's something that's been present within the book as well, just as Ed's kind of embracing his own queerness and his own past and elements of like things that he could not change and could not control because it doesn't work that way. Um, so I don't know if you have something more to add to that. No, okay. <laughs> That's good. That's a good enough answer for all of us, right, I think. So moving on. I've read that one goal you had while writing the series is connecting different communities. Which communities are you trying to connect and why do they need connecting? Ooh, yeah, that definitely, um you know, comes into the choice of depicting queer experience, particularly from a small town. I think that I'm also thinking, trying to think about like working class experience, particularly in the way that I, that we write characters and that I uh, illustrate people and coming up in some books, like illustrating people's homes and scenes and things. Um, yeah, we're trying, it's interesting when we're tabling with this event, because when we talk about different aspects of the series, you can see it light up in people's eyes at different points. Um, sometimes that's dementia, sometimes that's queerness, sometimes that's a small town aspect. And creating like multiple points of entry, I think is really powerful, because it can open people up to a story that they might otherwise not encounter. Uh, I have a lot of friends from back home who are like working class rural folks who still want to support me and pick up my book. And I'm like, you would not be reading this queer story any other way, but, but through this like connection that you have to me. And I think that's really powerful. Um, I think like opening people up to an opportunity that they might not expect can be a really rewarding experience. No. And I, I think I've been really impressed and really amazed with, um, the people who come to tell us their stories at expos and things like that. <clears throat> um, like I've had a lot of people talking about their queer children, their non-binary children, and kind of how this has been a really interesting way of connecting with them in a strange way, um, because it's a story that connects across so many different bridges of people's identities, so many different bridges of people's experiences. 
um, that like I've had people come and talk to me about their 17 year old or their 14 year old choosing a new name and how that's been a really extraordinary experience for them because they, they realize that it's not this very difficult thing for them to understand. It's actually very obtainable. And it's something that like we all are going to have to face as the world changes and as people become more in themselves and kind of choose to become who they are um, and have a more willingness that those are like not giant leaps or not giant things that they have to do. They're just stories they have to be told. They're things that they share with each other. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's, I hope it's working. I hope people are connecting with it, but I think we're just on the precipices of a lot of change. So, yeah, it's really interesting, uh, in my experience with like changing names and adding the pronouns to things, um, with certain groups, like with like the arts community and queer community here in Calgary, it was just like immediate, like no problem, like got it. And sometimes, um, like it comes so easily to some people when they're like familiar with this idea and stepping outside of that into like my hometown situation where it's a little bit more complicated. Um, I think that just like by creating this story, like there's, again, it's just like inviting people in. It's mm -hmm. just like trying to expand the conversations that are happening in this world, uh, in this region of the world in particular. And um, that's something that I feel like my life and my art practice become very entangled because like I exist as a visibly trans person in Calgary, just going to the grocery store and going to a restaurant and doing these things. And like, um, as much as my artwork is creating that, that awareness and that, uh, that, that representation, you know, by existing in our world, I'm trying to do that as well. And I, I think that that familiarity can make something that is very scary for some people a little bit more humanized and a little bit, uh, more approachable, so. Now, uh, you both sort of touched on this at various points throughout the interview, but I just want to come out and ask, why is storytelling important for a community? Oh, story is everything, I think. Like, you know, the way that we, it's a, again, like inter identity has been a huge theme of this. Like, the way that we interpret ourselves is a story. And you can see that change in a person wildly from a day to day based on um, sometimes it's connected to reality and how things are going. Sometimes it's not. And we can just have like wildly different narratives about who we are, where we are and where we're going. Mm -hmm. And your emotional experience is so affected by that. And it's it's nothing that that is existing in the room with you, but it is very present how the story that you tell yourself impacts the way that you're approaching your life for that day or that week or any period <laughs> I, I storytelling is the core to understanding and mm -hmm. it's the core to sharing experiences and you know i talk a lot about in my own work i deal a lot with intergenerational loss i'm dealing with a lot of like loss of information due to the aids crisis and you know stories are the things that like carry us throughout time like they're stories that reflect our present to reflect our past to reflect our future like we're required to have those things in order to keep moving forward to keep understanding the way not only things were but how they're going to change mm -hmm. and how we're you know facing so many different attributes of every single day is key to storytelling um i don't know i just i feel so privileged and lucky to be able to tell stories to be able to tell 
narrative to be able to explore things that people aren't necessarily ready or comfortable with. But there's so much weight and so much power to being able to do those things. Um, and I think that's that's all it comes down to for me, why I think stories are so important for every community. Yeah, so to me, stories are magic. Like the fact that I can make like uh, marks on a page printed in ink that a person can pick up and have an extremely emotional reading out of is wild. That is that is magic. And the 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 idea of like trying to really connect with people emotionally at the forefront of the series of Pass Me By is this idea that if we can connect through our hearts, then we can also create some connection in our mind and we can create change in how people think about queer communities in, in our region of the world here. Now let's talk about your story in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, was there any concern about publishing a novel like the one that you guys are putting out? Because it's not for everybody, right? Some people <laughs> might actively be against it, one might say. So what, what's been that, uh, that thought process for you in terms of that kind of reaction? Well, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about what we're pointing at with if book three, to, if that's okay, Ryan. Of course. Yeah, so that's something that um, I'm definitely thinking about with where we're heading in book three. Um, I don't want to reveal too much, but we are uh, touching on trans identity in youth. And that's something that is a hot button these days. And I think that's exactly the reason to make this story. And it's interesting how that, like the politics around that conversation have changed even in the months that we've been writing this story. Um, it actually like motivates me to be like, oh, this is really important. Like the, it's really important that we are writing this work. And, and again, we're trying to connect with people with people's hearts and trying to create some empathy across this experience that can be very difficult for people. Um, and it's difficult for the person who's going through transition. It's difficult for family. And it's it's uh, a challenge that I hope that I'm able to help with in some way by creating this story. I think too, it also kind of like, as your experience in transitioning was mm-hmm. kind of happening simultaneously as we were writing this book, um, you got to deal with a lot of issues that you were facing and within yourself as you were creating this series and as you were creating this book. Um, and I think that that's also just like, a very very difficult thing to face is like there is a lot of challenges to representing a story like this in a way that is you know nuanced in a way that is realistic in a way that is thoughtful mm-hmm. um and we really want to make sure that we're doing all those things correctly mm-hmm. um for for me it's like when i first approached this book i had no idea what it was going to turn into i had no idea you know where the the stories were going where i was even going within myself and where I am still going, like, I still feel like I, I haven't faced a lot of issues that I even present within book two, within book three. There's a lot of things that, like, I'm still contending with, and I don't really know if the people that I have in my life quite understand those things yet. Um, so that's another part is, like, the book has been such a therapeutic way of revealing attributes and things about myself that I'm not even sure I'm ready to contend with. Uh, and that's been really interesting, really scary, um, <laughs> and really powerful. And I, again, that's the value of stories. It's the value of being a part of this all, right? Yeah. I will say that it's like, uh, it is scary and it's, it's very vulnerable. And um, with how rooted this 
this series is in personal experience. You know, that is that is a very, I'm going to use the word again, vulnerable thing to do <laughs> it, uh, to put yourself out there like that. So, um, yeah, you need a certain level of like boldness and confidence and, um, <laughs> I have a curse word that I want to say, but uh, you get the idea. Like you, uh, I kind of just have to go for it. And like, if there's there no, is pushback, you know, that's and there's just no to room to be nervous about, like trepidatious about it in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Like you have to be approaching this. You have to have those difficult conversations. You mm-hmm. have to be wanting the next step because if we just keep waiting for it to make sense, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know. I don't know if that quite makes sense, but yeah, I think it ties back into the question you had about like, how do you stay motivated with this? I and mean, like, it really is just a feeling as much as any rationalization for that I have for myself, um, that I just like, I know that this is like so important to me. And the fact that other people have read it and, and had that connection and have told me that it's, it's resonated and it's been important to them. I, uh, I, that's just something that I have to chase down because it feels it feels so vital and it feels so important to my life. Mm-hmm. Trust. Trust. Trust is a huge part of this series. That's been where it's been really interesting uh, and exciting to work with Ryan through this whole process as well. Um, our like working relationship has evolved so much through the years that we've spent together on this project. And I'm so grateful for this experience. I'm so grateful for it. There's a lot of impassioned arguing, but it's out of so much love <laughs> and so much fighting to get that story and like knowing that it's important and knowing that there's so much vital energy that we have to exert in order for this to be the best it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, when it comes to pass me by, I think there's enough love to go around because the first volume was very well received and was named one of the best Canadian comics of 2019 by the CBC, mm-hmm. uh, as well as winning other awards. So what does that reception tell you about the interest in hearing the types of stories you're trying to tell? Oh man, I'm still, I, I'm, I, I'm still contending with like people telling me they like things that I do as like a good thing. I, I don't know what it is about me, but like, as soon as someone tells me they like something that I do, I immediately think it's a lie and like want to run away. Um, so I'm trying to contend with it, but especially with our second book, that one was like very, very, very hard to do because we were dealing with a pandemic and we were like telling this really intense, very queer story. And it was like a lot of things about ourselves that when people like have this really positive reception to it, it's it's very intense and it's very, very overwhelming for me. But we have so many supporters and we have so many people who love the book and like really, really believe in that the the importance of a story like this that I can't help but be a little excited by it, I guess, and be very hopeful that like we have people who are reading it every single day and are exploring it in ways that I didn't understand and wouldn't expect. So it's been pretty positive, I'd say. Yeah. Ryan will like tense up at praise, whereas I'm just like, yes, pour it on me. Yeah, Thank I will you. run oh away. Oh my God, I worked so hard on this. Thank you for seeing <laughs> it. Like, um, uh, Yeah, it's been really, really validating. Um, we actually have just been nominated for a Doug Wright Award for Emerging Talent for our first two books. Mm-hmm. And like looking through that list of Uh, previous winners and nominees like it is so many of my heroes in Canadian comics um, that it's wild it's wild to even be nominated for that like I I was trying to describe it to my parents and I was like it's like being it's like making the world juniors team 
like to like get that level of recognition and that's wild yeah that's like uh i can't think too much about it but i just like have a warm feeling all the other nominees are are insane they're also incredibly talented and their work is so resonant and intelligent and like beautiful i just it's a it's a real privilege to be like on that list and to be sharing the space with them Mm -hmm. um as young queer creators it's very very trend like it's crazy yeah i really have like no expectations directly with this series because i don't think that i possibly could like i would have had no idea where i'd be at this point uh (laughs) when we started um but Wow. I, I absolutely went blank. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was good. I had a thought and it just 100% went out of my head. Uh, I have no expectations, but... Oh, I, I have it. I have it. Uh, where should I pick that up? Could you? Um, I really just try my best. Like, that's <laughs> all that I do. Like, I, I don't know where it's going to go or what it's going to do, but I'm like, if I'm painting a mural or if I'm making this book, like page by page i just really try to like nail it for myself just like i want to do the best possible work that i can mm-hmm. and if that's being recognized by other people that's fantastic but ultimately i'm the one that i'm trying to satisfy mm-hmm. um it's just the trust that it will become what it will become you know like it's mm-hmm. it's going to be as it is and uh that's again that's that's just the trusting in each other and like making something like this work is just making it happen you know Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens so what sort of takeaway would you hope that listeners or readers of your work uh come away with after hearing you talk for this amount of time or reading your book i always say like trust that your stories have value and that like you as a person existing wherever you are and whatever community you are and facing whatever you're facing like there there is a value to telling your stories and knowing that like people will understand them and that there is a place for them at all times um you just have to make room for them Mm -hmm. um and that that comes from a lot of like you know make room for them sounds a little bit easier than it actually is but (laughs) if you believe in it and you're willing to fight for it there's always space for you and there's always space for your your existence and your toils and the things that you go through so yeah i think that um a, a huge thing for ryan and i throughout this whole process has been a real commitment to making our own opportunities mm-hmm. um, when there wasn't pre-packaged uh experiences set up for us or opportunities set up for us we just really like naively dove into creating that's that for ourselves um and that can be scary if you know what you're getting into but funny enough by like having ignorance of what we were getting into we were just like let's just do it and then we found out all of the things uh that come up with that along the way but um just a real commitment to like taking things on as they come and like a confidence that you will be able to figure things out and just getting things out i i know so many people who have the first page of their novel, the first page of their graphic novel, and they just do it over and over and over and Mm -hmm. over again, expecting perfection, expecting this perfect marbled idea. And it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Like it just doesn't. You have to just get it in front of people and get it to spaces where it can be understood or interpreted or changed and like meeting the right people. You just kind of have to let it go. 
you know? Yeah, well, Ryan, you have a great thing that you like to say about making friends with failure, mm -hmm. which is a major theme of, of our experience in the back uh, scenes of working on Pass Me By, where, you know, that's going to be part of your process. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be ups and downs. And um, embrace not, it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's all. It's all learning. It's, and it's all, all part growing. of the experience. It's all part of all of it is to fail and like create and learn from those decisions, learn from those mistakes, learn from people talking to you about it, learn from everything. Like we're never going to come out with a perfectly formed piece. It's something that exists in many different forms and we'll go through so many different people. And also from the so many people that it goes through, you're going to gain an even clearer understanding of like what the purpose of that thing is mm -hmm. and like experience so many people who have all kinds of different backgrounds perspectives on that thing and that's so powerful and it just makes your work greater well that seems like a good place to cap it so okay. uh ryan cat where can people find you folks can find me on instagram at cat underscore simmers i also host a web portfolio on catsimmers.com. Uh, uh, you can check me out on Instagram or any of the other things at rdannyowen. Um, I'm also, you can check out my website at uh, ryandannyowen.com and you can check out my queer archive mirrors and windows there uh, available all the time, getting updated constantly. Uh, so you'll yeah. See. And if you're looking f interested in our series, Pass Me By, you can find Gone Fishing and Electric Vice at most local uh, independent bookstores mm -hmm. here in the city. We're carried in chapters. And you can also order us online at renegadeartsentertainment.com. Perfect. Ryan, Kat, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having us. Before we sign off, we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us today. We'd also like to acknowledge that Idea City was made on Treaty 7 land and was made possible by Hunter Hub for Social Innovation. This podcast was produced by Work Nicer, Andrew Gilbert, Kurt Archer, Simone Pabretza, and the TEDxYYC graphics team. Music for this podcast is by Sergeant and Comrade.